speak a little bit to Westerners, maybe? We, we seem to have these expectations that our teachers need to kind of prove that they're holy by living in a certain way to be determined by me, mm. right? Yeah, yeah. I think at least in North America, we sort of think, like, you, you shouldn't smoke, yeah, and you should probably be a vegetarian. Yeah. And right, right, yeah. Okay. Well, again, that's kind of Shizuoka Nagoya thinking. This is my image of an awakened being, and I'm putting them in Nagoya because I'm happy walking in Nagoya. I want my awakened being under control. I don't want them doing anything to upset me. I don't want them to do anything that kind of challenges me. I don't want them to behave in any way that makes me think about where my scale is. So it comes from single mother, single father, nuclear family. Because when you grow up as a child, you have one mother, so all women are subsumed under mother, and you have one father, usually. So all men are subsumed under father. So your idea of how you judge men and how you judge women is directly dependent on how you judged or judged by or met or were met by your mom for all women and by your dad for all men. So now if you had a kind of a, a abusive father, then as a woman growing up, you'd probably have a real issue with men who are abusive, and, and you might fall prey to a non-abusive man who's actually more abusive than your abusive man because he had an abusive mother and he's actually hating his mother and he's hiding from her. You know what I mean? It gets terribly complicated. But the nuclear family, the nuclear, the single mother, single father, nuclear family, and then the reward system in school where you get rewarded. You know, you learn very early in school and, and in life that if you do this, you get that. So if you're good, you get to watch TV. Or if you do your homework, you get a cookie. Or, you know, if you do this, then we'll give you this. So the reward and punishment system, based on meeting the criteria of the, the parents and the society at large, then determines what you expect good or bad to be. So then your church and your religion tells you this is good and that's bad. And from very early, you have this layering, event after event, situation after situation, telling you what is good and what is bad. But all of this good and bad, we can pretty much assume, is going to be built on the measurement scale coming from where? Shizuoka or Nagoya, because that's the ones who are telling you. So your measurement system is built on Shizuoka and Nagoya. Now, along comes the Lama, or the teacher, or the awakened being, and you're going, okay, I'm judging everything from a Shizuoka perspective. And he's going, yes, but Tokyo's over here. And you go, well, why should I go to Tokyo? And you, and you go, well, look, I don't want to get into a fight with you about this, so you want me to be not smoking, not eating, not fornicating, not drinking, my breath is always sweet, and, uh, you know, <laughs> angels dance on my head. Okay, if that's what it takes to get your attention, try to get you over to Tokyo, I will do that because I don't want to spend a lot of time arguing about whether or not a llama should smoke or shouldn't smoke. It's like a waste of time and energy. So they go, okay, we won't do that, and we won't do that, and we won't do that, so that you'll get going to Tokyo. But there's a place where your measurement system is still in, Shizuoka. So what's the next town past Shizuoka on the way to Tokyo? Yokohama. Okay, yeah, Yokohama. So now, now you're inching your way to Yokohama, right? Because the llama looks the way he's supposed to look. But your value system is still in Shizuoka. So that's the Theravadan system. They say, oh, no, no, okay, like, just behave the rules and forget Shizuoka and just be good and we'll get you to Tokyo, right? So, and it kind of works. But the problem is that you're still carrying your value system from Shizuoka. 
and that value system is lopsided based on the measurement of what spiritual is supposed to be. Why is it not possible for an awakened being to have a cigarette or a glass of beer or fornicate? Says who? So now the Vajrayana comes along and says, okay, have a cigarette, <laughs> have a drink, smoke, sleep in, and go gambling. But we only say that to people who won't go smoking, won't go fornicating, and won't go gambling. To the people who are already smoking, gambling, and fornicating, <laughs> we say, and, you know, don't go smoking, don't go fornicating, and don't go gambling. So the rules change. And then the Shizoka person goes, hold it, hold it. I need one set of rules that I live by. That's it. End of story. No more. And I, we go, well, okay, fine. We'll get you to Yokohama with that. But we can't get you to Tokyo that way because you're still trying to hang on to a separation ego thing where this is good and this is bad. And obviously if the Lama is smoking a carton of cigarettes a day, then they're either doing it as a great teaching or they still have an attachment. <laughs> you know, right? Which may be possible. But remember, the awakening doesn't really care so much historically in what you did once you were awakened. Because the awakening is already the breaking down between self and other. So if if Dominica and I want to go out and get bombed all night, right, and I'm awakened, why should that make any difference? It's how you but view she's it. she's not. But she's not. So maybe in the midst of our drunken revelry, she'll see that the drinking isn't the core point to the awakened mind. It's the dropping of the boundary of separation that's the important thing, and she might awaken in the bar. But this is not a method that works for everybody. Most people will just get drunk. <laughs> we can try all we want. <laughs> so then, so then the la- the lama in the Vajrayana system, the lama becomes much more, or the or the teacher, the guide becomes much more important because it's there. You're relying more on the person who's been to Tokyo than you're relying on the map that you have in your hand or that you've been given. You're now you're relying more on the on the humanity, uh, the interhuman connection of it, more than a program. And in that sense, it can be very much faster, because you don't have to stop and look at your map, stop and look at your map, right, check it. The, the guy just says, okay, let's go, let's go, right? But you can also, you know, you can all, if, if your value system is a little wonky, you could, you could get a con man who's telling you you're going to Tokyo, and you're on your way to Okinawa, right? And, and it's hard to tell them apart sometimes. So how do you tell them apart? Well, you simply look at the you look at the teacher from the point of view of, do I feel that he loves me? Do I feel that he has my best interests at heart, and does he act that way? Not whether I agree with him, whether I like him, whether um, that's something I approve or disapprove, but do I feel that he or she is basically on my side for my life? And that's what you can trust. And so... Again, this one other factor that comes to mind with that question is the Platonic ideal that has driven Western civilization since 500 BC, which is the Plato came up with the idea that there's an ideal perfect. And this Platonic ideal of the ideal perfect has driven Western culture and civilization for the last 3,000 years. It's now dying. The idea of the ideal as a perfect as a fixed product is is passing away. As we move into the Aquarian age, the ideal now becomes the communicative aspect of one mind, which doesn't have to look like a platonic ideal. It was a very useful idea, 
and it remains a very useful idea because it kind of pushes your standard towards improvement. Confucius on the other side, right? Confucius was like, how do we get along with each other? And it was a very useful ideal for a very long time, but it doesn't really work now because the nature of the way the world works with each other is it's not about how do we get along, but what's healthy. And that's not necessarily the same thing. Anyway, returning to the um, personal vision. It's very difficult to get a shared vision, if not impossible, without a personal vision. So the reason that we're having a hard time forming a world community is that we don't have personal visions. Most of our personal visions are negative, in the sense that I don't want my grandmother to live with me, I don't want to live with my mother, and I don't want a job as a bureaucrat, say. I don't know. Maybe. So our visions tend to be negative. And so we have to develop positive personal visions. I would like to manifest the Tokyo mind state or the Tokyo heart by doing this, teaching children or being a doctor or, you know, being a garbage collector or, you know, whatever. It doesn't really matter. So that personal vision. Then with that personal vision, you can come together in community and form a community. But you can't form a community out of the idea of separation. Because your community will only be as strong as your agreement and disagreement. The minute you have a disagreement, your community will fall apart. Hmm? And the community on the earth can't afford to fall apart any more than it already is. Therefore, we need a vision of community that goes beyond the old models of what that is to a new idea, which is we are one human species. And currently in the world paradigm, that's not even on the table not even on the table, but it will be, and it's going to determine the next 2,000 years, because the Aquarian age is all about group guru, how to come together as a group. I think Thich Nhat Hanh just said it last week or something, or last month, that the future Buddha is group community. But I'd like, I'd like to add another dimension in terms of lack of personal mastery, the attachments, are also mental blocks. But the, the other area that you can approach your personal vision from is where is my lack of personal mastery? Now, personal mastery means basically how you move and interact and move through your world, either as a person or as a member of a group or as an employee or as an employer or as a mother or as a father or as a friend. Where is the place that I'm incapable or where is the place where... I have no talent, or where's the place that I disappear or fight? And it's a bit like the first two, the, the blocks and the attachments, but it's a little different here in the sense of, oh, I need to develop my analytical mind because my community needs me to have an analytical mind some of the time. Or if you are an analytical mind, I need to develop my relaxed, lie on the couch, you know, <laughs> smile mine because my community needs me to lighten up uh, occasionally. So when we talk about the community being humanity, what does humanity need from you that you're not, will, you know, it's like if you're like lifting groceries all day and you just carry the groceries in your right hand and the left hand is weak and not functioning, this is not a healthy organism. You need to bring the balance in. So... What do I need to do to bring balance into my mandala? And we can pretty much be assured that where you don't like the answer is exactly where it is.
Or, if you're a little bit wiser, you like the answer, but you don't do it. And that's even harder. Because sometimes you know the answer, and you go, yeah, 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 I have later. I, yeah, yeah, I know I, I should. I know I should uh, meditate more, but, um, you know, later. Or I know I should, I know I need to be more communicative, right? But I'm busy right now. So are you saying that the answer lies in observing, finding out that which it is that you try to avoid? Could be, or, or that which you just keep putting off. Okay. Or, or that which your friends have told you about 800 years ago. You know, the one where your friends say, oh, you know, come on, you know. But you need to be, it's not all by way of correction, 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 although it may sound that way. It's, but it's largely about it balancing, balancing, balancing. For men, it's probably communication about their feelings and their emotions as a general sweeping stereotype. For women, it's maybe about enough already with the emotions and the communication. And, and maybe there's, you know, learn how to just drop it. The men and women are in the world to balance each other, right? And so I talked about mother being the huge force in the ego development and the huge fear in terms of ego disillusion. And that's true. But the role of the father usually comes in a bit later somewhere around five or seven. And the job of the father is really to, is to put a, a, a wedge between the mother and the child so that the child starts individuating more, being more self-reliant, being more independent, having firmer set of guidelines, a firmer set of rules so that their ego definition can get stronger and clearer. The teenager will rebel against those things. That's perfectly normal. They should. But until that time, right, the sharper edge, the sharper defining boundary tells the kid who he is now. And that will change as he gets older. As he gets older, he'll rebel against that things. But the mother's always tending to embrace and to pull in and to hold, which is good. But too much of it then keeps the child uh, emotionally dependent, emotionally immature, uh, much more difficult to separate and, and find their own way. Uh, so I know this seems to contradict what I said about humanity being one body. But you can't have one body with weak cells, you know. So you need strong individual to make a strong group. Questions? If the language that I use creates my reality, hmm. how can I create a positive language to talk about identifying the obstacles in the attachment? Does that make sense? Yes, it Thanks. does. Yeah. So. Do you want to share the obstacle? Just, just give me something to work with. I can with. make up any number okay, of obstacles. Okay, just, just give me one. Um, procrastination. Okay, procrastination is a word meaning putting off what we think we should be doing right. till later. So the question that you want to raise here is, is it, do I really want to be doing this? Okay. The thing is, you might not even want to be doing it, but there's a little voice in your head saying, why aren't you practicing your piano? And you may be listening to Mother going, man, why aren't you practicing the piano? And now you've, in, you've internalized that voice. Mm -hmm. So you become your own mother's voice in your own head about doing something you don't want to do in the first place. Okay. So the procrastination may be, A, you don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. B, that you think you should do it, mm -hmm. but don't want to do it. Mm -hmm. C, that somehow intuitively you know it's not the most important thing for you to be doing. And that you're, maybe it's telling you that you're reason you're not doing that thing is because there's something that's more important to do. Okay. Or D, that if you succumb to procrastinating, you're going to get really upset. Mm. 
and you don't want to get upset. And the upsetness will show you where the energy has blocked because of not doing it, what we call shifting the burden. Mm -hmm. So you shift the burden onto the procrastination rather than meeting the power of the state that might be triggered by doing it. Mm -hmm. So we just did a karma womb and transcendence retreat, and uh, the womb journey is divided into four steps. The first nine months is basically bliss with some interruption. The second part is the contractions. They go for a few hours usually, kind of on, off, on, off. And then third stage is violent. Third stage is incredibly intense. It's when the baby turns to when the head comes out of the uh, vagina. That's third stage, and that's a very, very intense time, but it tends to be short. And then the fourth stage is the delivery, which is divides into plop, here I am, and the cut. Now I'm a separate. All right. So what happens is, is there's the ego has a, has kind of an attachment to third stage bliss, right? It just wants to be in a good space. It just wants to be happy and wants everything to be easy. Fair enough. But life's not like that. Life always somehow manages to create interruptions, and that's called the second stage. The contractions is an interruption of the good womb. So whenever the ego meets a contraction, where does it tend to run to? Back to the first stage, right? But where should it be going? Forward. To the third stage. It should be going into intensity. But we don't like intensity because it's dissettling, emotional tension, rather than creative tension. So we tend to move back into the emotional tension of the disruption of the third stage, which the second stage is hinting at. We go, ah, and you run back to the first stage, right? And try to get your, all your ducks back in order where you're not disturbed and everything's okay. But the depth of the bean says, you were supposed to be born here, <laughs> <laughs> and, you, and you've gone back into the sauna. Like, come, would you get out of there and come get a new birth, a new lifetime, a new, a new uh, rebirth? Because every time you go through the cycle, it's a rebirth. And in a sense, you can say every time you go through the cycle, it's a new incarnation. First to second and back to first is the same. She hasn't changed because she hasn't met the challenge or the journey or the struggle or the realization or the learning or the unfoldment or the growth that the third stage brings into your face. And the third stage is, well, a little bit traumatic. It's just, you know, it's, it's kids die in there and mothers die. And not that you will in, in the spiritual sense. But what you're saying is that third stage is uncomfortable. Third stage is intensely uncomfortable. Second stage is uncomfortable. Third stage can be downright painful. But it's what produces the transformation. If you look at all the major transformations in your life, you'll probably find third stage has happened in all of them. Not very pleasant at the time, not very agreeable, not something you'd sign on for, but has made you a fuller, wiser, better, more compassionate person. But the ego goes, yeah, yeah, I know that, but I've, I've had enough thirds. <laughs> I've done a lot of thirds. My whoop is calling. And then that's and that's the end of your growth until until you meet that third stage challenge again. Now, once you get the idea that it's not personal, this isn't personal. This is just the story of humanity. This is the story of a human being's journey into the light, into the wisdom mind that it's not a personal thing, no matter even if it is personal, it's not personal, and that you're being pulled to a bigger, wider, broader, encompassing wisdom, compassion, then the third stage doesn't become 
a thing to avoid or a thing to um, uh, try to get rid of, it becomes a thing that, okay, just, all right, let's go, third stage. You go meet it. And it's much, much easier than trying to get back to some uninterrupted first. Because you can get back to the uninterrupted first, but only until the trigger comes back in and kicks that second again. And it's, like I talked about as an example, I talked about the irritating guy in the, in the story earlier. That irritating guy will keep showing up in your life over and over again. Either the same guy or guys just like him until that particular mandala is resolved or you go live in a gated community where those kind of guys aren't allowed in or someplace where just the right people live and nobody else lives there. You know what I mean? And then you can do that too. But you're always terrified that the, that the barbarians are going to be at the so gate. Have, so you're living with fear for the rest of your life. Even if he's not terribly fearful, he's just irritating. Mm. You're always that irritation is still residing in the depth of your being, and it'll come out with the the, the mailman will have it or something. Mm. And it doesn't have to be an action; it could be just a look. You know that that guy had a look that triggered something in your being that took you to your dad, to some trauma, and until you go through the trauma, right, the third stage part that trauma owns you. Once the trauma is released, you, it, it, and it may take a few times, first time being the biggest, once that trauma releases, it'll, it won't bother you anymore, even if he is a jerk. or you know, And he's, he's only a jerk because he's been traumatized into it, in his, himself. It's not like he's a, necessarily a bad person. He just, he's been built in shape just like we have. Yeah. In relationships, you like, I know sometimes there are triggers, yes. and you, know, you feed off of each other, and mm. you wait, and it goes away, and you know it's going to come back. Yeah, and that's exactly what I'm referring to. The trigger is the second stage, and it goes away, that goes back to first stage, and you know it's waiting for the next visit. And it's always generous, because it's innumerable amount of times, it will always keep it in the opportunity. Well, <laughs> well, yeah, except when you shut it down for good, and you can do that. If you've heard about Tokyo and it's grabbed your attention, you're on the road whether you like it or not, so you might as well get on with it because you won't be able to shut it out. Could you yes. speak briefly about what you just said about the circle versus the spiral? Yes, well, well, if you meet that third, you might go around a number of times on the circle. Okay. And the opportunity does keep coming around. Okay. But if you really want to shut it down, you can. And life will just move you into a place where you don't meet it anymore. Okay. But if you're still open to the possibility of right. spirit, then that situation will keep coming around until you answer it. It might take five times, it might take times, it might take a hundred times. But eventually, as right. long as you're open to it and you keep inviting it back, it will show up. Well, you don't even have to invite it back. It's more a case as long as you don't shut it down. And you can shut it down. And people usually shut it down when they're driven by just the necessities of life, food, clothing, shelter, and medicine, careers, and jobs, and raising kids. That's why raising, you know, raising kids is a, you know, you've got to really close it down to do that as a rule, generally, most people. And uh, it takes a particularly strong spirit to keep the spiritual door open while you're raising kids. But you can do it if you, if you use it as such. Yeah. And so it's still possible, of course. But um, for most people... They go to sleep there. For most majority, because they have a different they have a different agenda. Their agenda is really Nagoya becomes the, the, the destination. It becomes the world, and they're happy with that, and that's where they're okay. And well, they're not really it's happy. Very hard to find time to get to Tokyo from there. Well, it seems like it is, but it isn't, because Nagoya is Tokyo. The minute you make 
Nagoya Tokyo rather than a false Nagoya. Okay. It's a metaphor, remember. Okay. Mm. So the minute you say, I'm going to Tokyo in Nagoya, <laughs> sorry, does this make sense? Uh -huh. Yeah. Then you are still on your way to Tokyo. Mm. It's not like I'm having kids, I, I'm stuck in Nagoya. You're going, right, that you yeah. can't get back to No, okay. it's kind of a metaphor. Okay? Alright. Idam te puni kam aswar into Idam te puni kam aswar into Idam te puni kam aswar into. Sveta skita onto. May you be well and happy. For more information, please visit clearskycenter.org. That's C L E A R S K Y C E N T E R dot org. Thank you.